Good morning, Monday morning. Welcome to the Vince Coakley Radio Program. And we begin with breaking news out of New York City. Let's listen in to the former president, Donald Trump, who is about to go into a civil trial. He's letting loose on those who are prosecuting him in this civil case. Uh, Listen in. Financial statement. Don't believe anything you read. This is up front. Don't believe anything you read. Some people call it a worthless clause because it makes the statement and anything you read in the statement worthless. It says go out and do your own research. Go out and do your own due diligence. You have to study the statement carefully. Do not believe anything. In fact, it's so strong that people read it and they don't even accept it. They don't even want it. They don't even use it. It's called a disclaimer clause. It's very common. If you put it in, if you don't have time to do statements, or even if you do have time, people like to have it. This is what's called a full disclaimer. We disclaim the financial statements. But even with a full disclaimer, which immediately takes you out of any fraud situation and any litigation. And by the way, when the attorney general found out about the disclaimer, she said, that's okay, let's go forward anyway. Good publicity. These are corrupt people we're dealing with, the most corrupt people. We have a great company. I built a great company. It's got tremendous value. It's got some of the greatest real estate assets in the world. And now I have to go before a rogue judge as a continuation of Russia, 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 as a continuation of the greatest witch hunt of all time. And I don't think the people of this country are going to stand for it. If I weren't leading in all the polls, or if I weren't running, I wouldn't have any of these cases. I wouldn't be seeing you this morning. But I'll be seeing a lot of you because this is a horrible thing that's happening to our country and we've got to get it straightened away. So we'll go in and see our rogue judge and we'll listen to this man. And uh, I think most people get it. People are getting it. I can tell you the voters getting it because every time they give me a fake indictment, I go up in the polls and that's never happened before. But this is a disgrace. And you're gonna go after this attorney general because she's turning off everybody from coming in. You know, I don't know if you should take a look at the outflow of business. Businesses are fleeing New York because of horrible, horrible attorney generals and judges like we have. They go to other places where they can be treated fairly and with respect. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard former President Donald Trump. The tail end of his remarks, he's been speaking for several minutes now, but the general theme of what he's been talking about is the corruption of the prosecutor who is pursuing this case. This is a civil case. This is for a case that will play out in a Manhattan courtroom. Civil fraud trial. Now, the purpose here to determine damages after a judge already ruled he grossly inflated the values of his real estate properties in the state. One of the things Donald Trump said today is these properties are worth much more than these folks are making the value out to be. They have essentially, from his perspective, devalued his assets. So, one of the things he posted on social media... Lots of things that he has communicated to blast the judge. Judge Arthur Ingeron is the name. He is overseeing this case, and the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, is the one who led the investigation into questionable business dealings inside the Trump Organization. Now, I mentioned a few minutes ago, because he's been speaking for a while, Donald Trump, again, beating the drum of the election interference message. He says this is what this is all about. It's election interference. And this is a rogue judge. You know, This is going to be interesting to see. If you're the judge in this case, how are you going to function in this case after essentially having somebody outside your courtroom call you a rogue judge, uh, refer to this, the attorney general, as a racist, saying this whole thing is a scam and a sham. And 
I don't know. It's going to be very intriguing to see what unfolds. For her part, Letitia James also had a news conference, and one of the things she said this morning, ultimately, it doesn't matter who you are, this is her communication and all of this, that justice will prevail. So I think I've seen in stories thus far that Donald Trump may end up participating in this civil trial throughout the week. But the bottom line is, Today is the beginning, at least the first day that requires his presence, and we will find out very soon how all of this unfolds in that Manhattan courtroom. For your part, what do you think of these proceedings? Is this, as Donald Trump would say, just another witch hunt? Is this how you see what is taking place here? Trump's comments yesterday, he made reference to the fact that Letitia James campaigned on getting him, calling this judge also unfair, unhinged, and vicious. Also writing on Truth Social, he values Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach at $18 million when it's worth 50 to 100 times that amount. His valuations are fraudulent in pursuit of election interference and worse this whole case is a sham see you in court (laughs) oh my goodness now donald trump is listed as potential witness in the fraud trial it remained to be seen if he would actually be called to testify now so much of the heat that has been generated by this the fact that the judge ingron issued a summary judgment that found that Trump's real estate business was guilty of enriching itself by inflating the value of his New York properties, including his hotels and his golf clubs. The misleading actions cheated banks and insurance companies out of as much as $2.2 billion. Now, his decision granted part of a summary judgment that was sought by James with this week's bench trial needed so the judge can make a rule on a number of unsolved matters, including the amount of damages Trump will pay. Now, under the ruling from the judge, all of Trump's New York businesses, the licenses were revoked, as well as those of his co-defendants, including his two sons, Eric Trump and Donald Trump Jr., his longtime finance chief, Alan Weissenberg, and his company, the Trump Organization. So, as you might imagine, the stakes are very high for this as really there's the potential for this judge to eviscerate the Donald Trump empire. So stay tuned. We'll keep you posted on how all of this unfolds throughout the course of the morning. If you'd like to join the conversation, the Vince Coakley Radio Program, phone number 704-570-1110, 704-570-1110. We start with breaking news. Donald Trump has made its way to a Manhattan courtroom where his civil trial is kicking in. This is for fraud. That's what this is all about. So we will continue to follow this, and I'd love to get your thoughts. Along the way, what we've watched are proceedings, criminal mostly, against Donald Trump. And every time there is some sort of development in in any of these cases, the poll numbers seem to be favorable for Donald Trump. The more that happens to him, is that the case now? What are your thoughts about all of this? And what do you think will be the outcome So over the weekend, the sky did not fall. (laughs) The government has funding, I believe, for 45 days now. We will talk about that coming up in just a few minutes. Also, we already have a person who is going to be appointed the new senator for the state of California after the death of Dianne Feinstein. Didn't waste any time doing that at all. We will discuss that. 
Also, legislation, well, not really legislation, but in what amounts to sort of executive decision across the pond that is very significant in the education world. Is it something that should be duplicated here? I think a lot of parents probably in this audience will this will agree on this approach. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. I want to begin in a an unusual place for me. I and I have to be honest with you, one of the reasons why I'm not a news TV news person anymore. Uh, you know, I get this question all the time. Why aren't you on TV anymore? And I usually, when people ask, you know, what's the reason? I explain to them, have you ever seen the movie Groundhog Day? And that usually, you know, if they're old enough and they remember the movie, they normally get it right away. Because this stuff really does get old. Reporting the same kinds of crimes and things like that over and over and over again. I did want to make mention of a crime that happened that is really getting a lot of attention. This happened on Saturday. And I want to take a different approach to this because I've been thinking for a long time, and I'm not even sure how I would do this, but I've really had a concern about what can we do to equip people, especially young people, to deal with issues how to manage themselves, and also how to deal with conflict. I think, as we've seen a continued um, destruction of the family, there's really no other way to put it. You've got more and more people, frankly, that are not being parented. That's the number one problem. So the question is, how do we provide the means to get people in some sort of state of sanity so that they are able to function in society like everybody else. Because I really believe these mental health issues in extreme cases, I think these things are getting worse. When you hear this particular story, you've probably heard this in the news. You know, it can be like any other story. It's just bizarre. But at the same time, the question I find myself asking is, what's going on with this particular person? What are the internal issues that brought this about? Here it is. The disgruntled Taco Bell customer. This, this is just so dumb on every level. A person accused of critically injuring an employee in a dispute that began in the drive through line... This happened Saturday night at the Taco Bell on Albemarle Road. Now, police have made an arrest. According to them, witness statements indicate after ordering food, the suspect became aggressive in the drive-thru when he believed he had been given an incorrect amount of change. That's it. Incorrect amount of change was enough to cause this guy to go off. The suspect proceeded to leave the drive-thru, come inside the restaurant where he became more aggressive, produced a firearm, and started shooting inside the restaurant, and then fled the scene. Unfortunately, an employee suffered multiple gunshot wounds, still in the hospital with life-threatening injuries. Fortunately, the suspect here arrested without incident. I wonder how many other people are out there who, frankly, just do not know how to deal with conflict. And it may not end up with a shooting. It can end up with domestic violence. Any number of ways these kinds of violent expressions are manifest. Where do these people go for help? Do they even realize they need help? This is uh, especially concerned to me when I consider, especially among young black men, how many are involved in crime, either as perpetrators or as victims, for that matter, in cases where people just go off over nothing. Where would they learn that? 
particularly in the black community, where we have a 70% illegitimacy rate, no father in the home, what is it that we can do to reach these folks who really need some sort of outside input in their lives? I think that's what's going on here, and this this problem is not going to get any better because we are producing more and more. We're producing broken homes. And to this day, there has not been a serious discussion about how we reverse this trend. I was, of all things, I was listening to NPR, a program at NPR this weekend, and I'm going to reach out to the author. I believe the title of the book is The Two-Parent Privilege. I mean, I could not believe what I was hearing. This was not a religious guest at all. This person was a progressive, and she was arguing the case that a two-parent household is one of the best things that can happen to put a child on the road to success. And you know, increasingly, this isn't happening. I mean, it's it amazes me, and even among the people I know, and I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just stating this as a fact. I'm seeing more and more situations where we just um we see the disintegration of marriage people just having babies out of wedlock and it's marriage is really an afterthought a lifelong commitment and connection that's the kind of stability ideally that children need I'd love to get your thoughts on this as to how we do this. How do we reach people who need some sort of relational input and instruction and guidance? And maybe even an emergency hotline. How do I deal with when I'm angry? Where do I go? How do I... As a young man, how do I keep myself under control? You know, rather than teaching kids how to have sex and all the wonderful sexual options there out there, how about addressing some of these things? How to be a person of self-control? How to deal with conflict? You are on the Vince Coakley radio program on this Monday. And we're back at the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Coming up, we'll talk about the person who's been appointed as the new senator for the state of California. That is quite an interesting development we will delve into. <laughs> Let's first talk about the fact that the sky did not fall at midnight yesterday as we entered the new fiscal year. But government has money to operate. Isn't it wonderful? I stepped into a little online discussion. At least it was healthy discussion. It's a friend of mine who was very thrilled about the fact that both sides have come together and resisted the extremists. I sent a message to this friend basically saying, okay, it's great. Everybody's agreeing. But when is when is the time to actually address the overspending issue? Well, maybe by coming together they can... No, they're not. Because you have one party that really doesn't believe in any limits at all. And the other one, I don't know what they're doing. I really don't. Breitbart's version of this story, they are emphasizing the positive aspect of what the House has given into. Their headline, McCarthy rolls the deep state, advances government funding plan that cuts off Ukraine cash. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Speaker Kevin McCarthy scored a shocking victory over the deep state Saturday by securing House passage of a 45-day stopgap bill to keep the government open and cut off funding for Ukraine. McCarthy's victory seemed almost impossible as recently as the morning amid disagreements inside his own conference and willingness among Democrats to shut down the government over Ukraine funding. Yet, as it became clear, the momentum for stopgap 
Continuing Resolution, or CR, without Ukraine funding was building, panicked Democrats started utilizing delay tactics, including a long filibuster speech from Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. Representative Jamal Bowman allegedly pulled a fire alarm at the Capitol to delay the vote. That's just absolutely crazy. U.S. Capitol Police are investigating that. House Republicans are calling to expel him from Congress. So, with the Senate's approval and Joe Biden's signature, just like that, the government is funded for 45 days. (laughs) Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, all these folks have prevented a shutdown. The short length of the bill give the Ukraine first caucus in both congressional chambers time to scheme for the next spending battle, where they undoubtedly will use another threat of a shutdown as leverage for further funding of the distant war. Senator Mike Lee acknowledged McCarthy's victory over the deep state after Saturday's House vote. It's rumored Pentagon officials are on their way over to the Capitol lobby for Schumer McConnell And the military-industrial complex simply doesn't like to lose. Senators Lee and Rand Paul had planned to employ parliamentary delay tactics on a CR vote, but in a sign of how big a victory McCarthy's bill is for conservatives, the duo has indicated they will allow for quick consideration of the bill. McCarthy and conservative, they deserve to celebrate today, according to Breitbart. But the battle for more Ukraine funding will pick back up soon if the bill passes the Senate, which it did. So I think it's appropriate. And, and I do think and there is a need to give Kevin McCarthy credit for separating this funding. I mean, we've had plenty of discussions about this on this program, about the need to separate bills, to stop throwing things together. What are your thoughts? Is this what you expected, a last-minute deal? And do you see this as a victory? Quite curious about that. Let's go out to a call with Richard in Harrisburg. Very curious to discuss what's going on with our families and the crime situation, the nexus between those things. Richard, good morning and welcome. Uh, good morning, Vince. Um, it's important to uh, for the audience to understand, I'm an African-American I was a cop in the Bronx for 20 years. I did another 10 years investigating uh, the affordable housing, all predominantly black and Hispanic communities. Um, the African-American community in large is broken. The Hispanic community is next. And all these other people coming in, these uh, brown and black people, they want to indoctrinate them into uh, this broken system. Um, there is a culture of violence in the African-American community, and we have to ask ourselves why. Well, first of all, where are the consequences? There are no consequences because there are no fathers. There are no consequences even on an emotional, spiritual level because people are not going to church and their morals, unfortunately, are in the toilet. So then when you go to school, again, there are no consequences. So then even when you get on the street because of the the fact that they've defunded the police, and they have this bail reform, so there is no consequences even in the street. So it's not uh, a coincidence that when you turn on your TV and when you turn on the news, that unfortunately, the violence that's going on, they look like being you, Vince. I hear you, man. Um, do you, uh, I guess, embrace the idea that I was suggesting that I wonder if there's a way that we can do something to reach people, our young people, and so they can learn things like conflict resolution, so they can learn things about self-control. Yeah, I think there is. Um, And, and, you know, people have to get back to, I believe, Christian values and and morality. That's number one. And we we can't force people to do that. But there has to be consequences, and there needs to be, and quite frankly, even in, there needs to be uh, psychologists out there with the police. There needs to be psychologists in the school so that we can see 
ahead of time before somebody goes shooting up a Taco Bell that this person needs help. So we yep. uh, just 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 in a society, yes, we could use a little bit more. We need a lot more people who can. I mean, cops go into family disputes all the time, but we're not psychologists. We just go by the law. And even the law is getting weak, but if you have psychologists or counselors driving around with police, I'm not saying they should be in every radio car, but they need to be out there so they can go to certain things when the police call and say, hey, listen, I need a counselor here now. Yep. Because the cops are not, that we, we, we're not psychologists. Yep, I hear you. You're you're getting called on so many times to do things that um, that really aren't part of your job description, and uh, there's there's a vast need for what you're describing here, uh, Richard. I absolutely appreciate your contribution, and thanks very much for the way you have served. And uh, actually, I'd love for you to hold on to get some information from you to perhaps continue this conversation. I this has been on my heart for a long time, and I've had this conversation with a number of people who are very interested in doing something substantively to address this. You know, it, to me, this is why I got tired of just talking about this kind of thing and reading news stories day after day about violence, that sort of thing. What can we do to address this? Back of the Vince Coakley radio program, 10 minutes before the hour, 11 o'clock. I want to just add something to what I said before the break. The conversation we had with the caller was really a great observation about the things that police are called to do. I know how many times I've had conversations with police officer friends of mine. You know, The things they dread the most are domestic violence calls. They're horrible. And it's kind of like teachers, how teachers so often are in a place they have to deal with all kinds of other things other than teaching. It's the same thing here with police and the burden is falling on them because of what has not happened at home. So between now and dead, I want to do something of significance there. I haven't quite figured out what, but uh, stay tuned. I hopefully will come up with something that perhaps we can do together. All right, folks, um, you know, one of the things that we try to do over the course of a weekend, you know, one of the things weekends are for relaxing, they're for sports, to try to unplug for a while and enjoy something. Not a lot of enjoyment for Panthers fans thus far. Here's the headline WBTV has number one overall pick Bryce Young struggles yet again, dejected after Panthers fall into O and four hole. Is this where we imagined ourselves at this point in the season? AP in this story saying after many of his teammates had showered, dressed, and left the stadium, Bryce Young sat motionless in front of his locker, still in full uniform, staring straight ahead, pondering another Carolina Panthers defeat. This one seemed to hit the number one overall pick hard. The normally upbeat, happy-go-lucky Young subdued as he spoke from behind a podium about unfamiliar territory. Panthers now 0-4. 0-4. And, 4. 0 and, 4. and uh, this does not feel good. Uh, here to talk about this and provide some insight on what may be going on with this team right now and why it's having such a tough time getting it together, our good friend Chris McLean, Mac Attack WFNZ. Good morning. Welcome back, man. Oh, Vince, you're there. I'm sorry. I was staring motionless right here, just pondering <laughs> another defeat, much like Bryce has oh been. I'm my sorry. Gosh. Oh, gosh. You have to feel really bad for the guy. I feel bad for him. I feel bad for all the Panther fans out there. I mean, uh, who have who invest their money, their you know, uh, blood, sweat, and tears in this team. And it has been, I can't even count how, how long it's been now, six years since the last playoff appearance. It has been six brutal years and it's and, and and the same thing and Vince, we talked about this before. The thing that really gets me is not only do we lose a ton, 
but it's always an unwatchable offensive mess of a football team. Like, maybe we can mix it up one time and lose like a shootout that had us on the edge of our seats. No, we <laughs> right. lose with watching offensive football that literally is painful on my eyes and everybody's eyes. It's rough, man. It is. So what's happening? Uh, just sum up what is not going right for this team. Well, certainly when every time we have the ball, it's not going right. I mean, I think the defense definitely <laughs> deserves a uh, you know an attaboy for the way they've kept us in these games. I mean, heck, yesterday the defense scored more points than our offense did. Defense had a pick, you know, a, a seven points, the pick six, and the extra point. Um, great play by Sam Franklin. Um, great start to the game. The offense then scored. Two field goals, six points the rest of the way. Our offense, Vince, got outscored by our own defense and the Vikings' defense. When Bryce fumbled, it was retired. I mean, Goodness. that's unheard of. I, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. And the funny thing is, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's funny, sad, however, whatever the right word I'm looking for is, the names change, right? The coaches change, the players change on offense, but it's still the same brutal offensively challenged football team. It's. It's tough to watch, and there's a lot of blame to go around, man. There really is. Now, when they're watching this and recapping this game, what kinds of things are they having to look at? I mean, I mean, you don't you don't want to be uh, completely um, petty here and say everything, but what's the starting place? I mean, the offensive line's missing two starters. You know, both guards are out from a unit that really gelled late last year. Remember the way they were playing last year? You know, at the end of the year, they won five of the last eight. They run the ball really well. They're missing Austin Corbin and Brady Christensen, the two starting guards. But even the guys that are in there, like a guy like Iki Iquanu, who was the number six overall pick in the draft at NC State as a left tackle, feels like he's regressed back to where he was at the start of his career last year. He's playing like a rookie starting a season and not a second-year guy that made strides last season. They can't run the ball. The offensive line can is, is struggling to run blocks, so they can't run the ball. Then it puts us in obvious passing situations where the defense can basically pin their ears back, go after Bryce. Um, and I think the coaching staff too. I mean, I can't, you know, I can't tell you how many times, Vince, this offseason, we dubbed this all-star coaching staff, right? Like we were so excited about the best staff that, that money can buy. And it's a lot of guys on that offense, including head coach Frank Reich. I mean, let's face it. The only reason Frank Reich is the head coach and not Steve Wilkes is because he has an offensive background. And David Tepper thought, we're going to draft a young quarterback, so let's get, a young, let's get, let's get an offensive mind to work with him. I, I, just, I am so underwhelmed by what Frank Reich and offense coordinator Thomas Brown, quarterbacks coach Josh McCown. I mean, this offensive staff that we had such high expectations for I've been so underwhelmed with their performance so far as well. It's 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 just a mix of just about everybody. And listen, and Bryce hasn't been perfect. He's got to protect the football when he gets hit. It's the second time we've seen him fumble the ball. It's like this isn't college, man. You got to wrap it up. Guys are going to hit you and take it from you. Guys are going to run you down faster than they were in college. But I really believe that Bryce, you know, played his best game yesterday. But he has a lot working against him, man. It's you know he he's far from perfect, but there's a lot of things affecting him too. Yeah, I, I can certainly agree with that. Uh, just a few seconds left here. Anything positive that gives you any sense of hope for turning this team around at this point of the season? Uh, again, the defense. I mean, I, like I can't I can't say it enough. Like this defense is missing was missing four starters for most of the game yesterday. Once Dante Jackson went out with an injury. We were missing three of our four stars in the secondary and Shaq Thompson, the defensive leader, and they held an offense, Vince, that came into this game, third in the league in total yards and second in the league in passing. And they held them to only two touchdowns and scored one on their own. Like, I really think the defense it, it deserves absolute gold stars, attaboys, cookies, whatever we want to give them. <laughs> the problem is the defense can keep them in games. They can even score a touchdown. But if this offense is going to be this inept – I'm looking at the schedule, Vince, and wondering who can we beat. I guess the Bears game right now oh looks like goodness. it could be a battle of offers when we meet them. <laughs> We're the last two winless teams. Oh but, man, it's it's hard to see many wins on the schedule. And then the worst thing about it is you don't own your first-round pick. Because usually at this time, Vince, over on WFNZ, when we stink in October, you know what we do? We start planning for next year's draft and just talking about next year's draft and who are we going to pick with our high draft pick. But they gave that up to get to get Bryce Young. So. 
Yeah, oh, I didn't really so help you much there with so hope. We're did I? stuck. Here. <laughs> Thanks for this uh, rosy assessment. Do you guys all happy out there in BT land? Oh my goodness! Feel so much better already. <laughs> Chris McClay, Mac Attack, WFNZ, thanks a lot for coming on the broadcast this morning, and we at least hope for better. That's uh, Just leave it I'm there. I'm not going to stop hoping, man. Don't even get me started on the amount of Vikings fans in the stands, Vince. That's a whole other hour oh, that, of your show. That doesn't help. All right, okay. doesn't All right help. man, I'm out of here. <laughs> thanks very much for joining us on the Vince Coakley Radio Program. As we approach news time, stay with us. And welcome to hour number two of the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Still to come, we're going to talk about some possible trouble for Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. Is he in danger of losing that particular job? Also, Ron DeSantis showing a tough side. The ability to push back on certain narratives. And we'll talk about the woman picked to fill... Dianne Feinstein's Senate seat, another example of checking off boxes, and we'll delve into the discussion that some believe we should have here in the United States of America, a possible move in the United Kingdom to take something out of the classroom. We'll tell you what that is as we continue the broadcast. How was your weekend? It's really interesting I don't know how many times I've had this discussion, and I, I think it's a product of just getting old. And it's not just me at my age. I'm noticing younger friends of mine, like in their 20s, 30s, posting that, you know, when they were younger, they just so valued being able to stay out. You know, maybe you had a curfew growing up, but now there's nothing like just being home and relaxing. Nothing like it. Uh, that was the case for me this weekend. I just, I mean, for one, I needed the rest for a variety of reasons. Back then to the point, I just enjoy just staying home. No going out anywhere, out to, you know, even dinner. At times I've wanted something, uh, it, it's carry out, it's takeout. <laughs> and come right back home and get relaxed. So uh, do you find that to be your experience? That you just enjoy being home. This morning, um, I don't know what your experience is like. I scheduled an, an appointment with my primary care doc, doctor this morning and went in very early. And during the course of that, you know, it's pretty funny because I will see these news stories about getting your flu shot, and I'm just thinking, I'm not going to bother with any stupid flu shot. It never fails, though. I get in front of my doctor. My doctor says, you know, you should probably get the flu shot. Are you okay with that? I'm like, oh, what the heck? Go ahead. So I did. I know some of you are already ready to, uh, <laughs> ready to uh, blow me up over this. But, I mean, I, I don't think it's a big deal. It's not anything I'm worried about one way or the other. But, like, what the heck? Why not? By the way, if you must know, one of the things I watched this weekend with a friend of mine is the movie The Nun. I know The Nun 2 is out. I like, all right, I, I, I don't know if I told you. My favorite kind of movie, horror movies. I love them. So, I saw this Nun 2 movie is out. I thought, okay. So I think I'll, I need to watch the first one, which I did with a friend of mine. Oh my goodness. It was, it was pretty good. So at some point, check out the second one for what it's worth. And I know this is really crazy, but I have also watched the Saw series and Saw 10 came out over the weekend, there was an intent to go out and watch that. But <laughs> once again, it was like, uh, do you want to watch anything? No. You, I mean, do you want to go anywhere? No. No. So I'm curious whether I'm the only person experiencing this or whether this is um, kind of a rite of passage for us older people. <laughs> Just don't have the desire to be out and about as much. So... 
Very curious as to your thoughts along those lines. Our phone number is 704-570-1110. You can also follow me on X at Vince Coakley, also the Vince Coakley fan page on Facebook, if you desire to do so. One of the things we were aware of going into this weekend is the possibility, not only do we have a government shutdown possibility, but a real crisis of leadership that could result in Kevin McCarthy losing his job as Speaker. So over the weekend, one member of Congress in particular has come out and said he is going to try to remove Kevin McCarthy. Matt Gates is his name. One of the things, really the last straw here, he's ticked off that McCarthy ended up relying on Democratic support to pass legislation that avoided government shutdown. Now, Gates is a longtime McCarthy nemesis. And in broadcast interviews, McCarthy was in brazen material breach of agreements he made with House Republicans in January when he ran for Speaker. This is his position. Gates said he would be filing a motion to vacate the chair. McCarthy's response, by the way. So be it. Bring it on. Let's get over it. Let's get over with it. Let's start governing. No speaker has ever been removed from office through this kind of move. Procedural votes could be offered to halt the motion or it could trigger a House floor vote on whether McCarthy should remain speaker. I want to take you back to a couple of weeks ago when we first got indications that Matt Gates was thinking like this. Here is what he had to say on the House floor. On this very floor in January, the whole world witnessed a historic contest for House Speaker. I rise today to serve notice. Mr. Speaker, you are out of compliance with the agreement that allowed you to assume this role. The path forward for the House of Representatives is to either bring you into immediate total compliance or remove you pursuant to a motion to vacate the chair. We have had no vote on term limits or on balanced budgets as the agreement demanded and required. There's been no full release of the January 6th tapes. As you promised, there has been insufficient accountability for the Biden crime family. And instead of cutting spending to raise the debt limit, you relied on budgetary gimmicks and rescissions so that you ultimately ended up serving as the valet to underwrite Biden's debt and advance his spending agenda. Wow. Pretty strong language there. And as I mentioned, McCarthy's basically saying, go ahead, bring it on. Bring it on. I have to tell you, I'm not a McCarthy fan. You know where I stand on him. But I think Thomas Massey really brought some wisdom to the table in our discussion, I believe on Friday, that uh, I don't know what would be accomplished by getting rid of Kevin McCarthy. We're going to end up with another... um, Another horrible person with a horrible liberty score. Because this Republican group, this Republican conference, it's weak. It's horrible. These are not conservatives. So I don't know what would be accomplished by getting rid of McCarthy. I don't know who would come in who would be any better. And we risk more mischief by Kevin McCarthy, as Thomas Massey explained on Friday, what John Boehner did on the way out. He's just basically sold out completely, gave Democrats everything they wanted, just out of spite. And I have no doubt that Kevin McCarthy would probably do the same thing. (laughs) I would love to know what you think about this. Do you think it's time for a new speaker? Would you like to see Matt Gates succeed in this effort? Chris writes in, this is so funny, Vince. Me and my wife had this conversation last night. <laughs> in reference to what I had to say earlier about just being home, we're so used to just enjoying each other, staying at home, watching our regular TV programs. So last night she asked, When are we going to the fair since we don't go anywhere throughout the week? Uh Uh-oh. I think you're going to have to go somewhere, Chris. Find somewhere creative to take her. 
We're back at the Vince Coakley Radio Program. One of the things that uh, you should also know, <laughs> in association with all of this activity in the nation's capital, with the vote on funding the government, we had this bizarre behavior by Representative Jamal Bowman of New York. Fox News reports it this way. He stunned conservatives and members of the media after releasing multiple statements about pulling the fire alarm in a congressional office building. He pulled the alarm Saturday while lawmakers were voting on a bill to avoid a government shutdown. Bowman said in a statement he was rushing to cast his vote on the bill. The chief of staff said Bowman didn't realize he would trigger an alarm. Really? (laughs) This is so silly. He posted another statement to X on Saturday evening and again said he believed it would have opened the door. I want to personally clear clear up any confusion surrounding the events. As I was rushing to make a vote, I came to a door that's usually open for votes. Today would not be open. I'm embarrassed to admit I activated the fire alarm, mistakenly thinking it would open the door. He said he did not intend to delay the vote, insisting it was the exact opposite. Representative Ralph Norman, our friend just south of the border, said the statement put out by Bowman's chief of staff was complete garbage. He did not realize deliberately pulling a fire alarm would trigger a fire alarm. This statement is complete garbage. And Ralph Norman's right. This guy. What a moron. Another Republican member of Congress said the statement was proof of how far Democrats are willing to go to force the shutdown. But there's general doubt that... This guy's story has any legitimacy at all. Our own Dan Bishop here (laughs) from the 9th District. Don't you hate when you're rushing to the House floor and accidentally pull the fire alarm on your way there? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Chris Saliza saying about this worst statement ever. Uh, Byron York commenting on this. Representative Jamal Bowman says he set off the fire alarm by mistake. He thought pulling the red handle labeled FIRE ALARM, he wrote that in all caps, would open the door he wanted to go through. Not trying to delay anything, and oh, peace and love. (laughs) There are people, by the way, calling for this guy to be removed for doing something so egregious. It really is kind of way over the top. Way, way, way over the top. Over the weekend, you know, one of the things that I know some people have expressed concern about Ron DeSantis, is he ready to deal with the media? Is he ready to stand up to those who are likely to be detractors? Well, we have an example over the weekend as Ron DeSantis had an interview with Bill Maher. And one of the questions raised by Bill Maher was why is Ron DeSantis supporting candidates who are essentially election deniers? What's the reason behind this? You know, there are people who believe that Mike Pence should have refused to certify the election results. You know, and the people who support these ideas, there are questions as to whether these are some of the folks who caused Republicans to do so poorly last year. Why would you support these people? Here is what's, what happened in this conversation, Ron DeSantis with Bill Maher. Okay, so why did you campaign for people? Who because I wanted to see Republicans win key races. And I think it's important. That's not a deal breaker issue for you. That's not democracy. Well, okay, well, let's go back to 2016. Uh, your friends in Hollywood were cutting ads telling the Electoral College to, to vote against Trump in, in the Electoral College because it was stolen. They said Russia stole the election. For years they said that. So don't act like this is like okay. a unique well, thing in modern history of the country. First. Wow. Applause for Ron DeSantis. You know, and you've heard the discussion 
It's been very clear. How many times you heard Hillary Clinton and others, who's the person I don't even remember her name in Georgia, who, who just loses and loses and loses and then denies the results? I mean, come on. Well, you already know it's October. Fall is here. It's time for WBT's Talktoberfest. Join us every Monday and Wednesday night in Talktober for live interactive conversation with WBT team and our Facebook live feed. What we talk about, that's up to you. Plan to ask any questions you may have. Grab a pint of whatever you'd like to drink. Join us 7 o'clock every Monday and Wednesday for Talktoberfest 2023, presented by Dry Otter Waterproofing. And we're back on the Vince Coakley radio program. So we have a name now. The person selected to fill the seat of Dianne Feinstein. Gavin Newsom, the California governor, has selected LaFonza Butler, the president of Emily's List, to fill the U.S. Senate seat held by Dianne Feinstein. Swift appointment means Senate Democrats will be back to full strength, headed into battles over spending and judicial appointments this week. In appointing Butler, whose group raises money to help elect Democratic women who support abortion rights, Newsom is emphasizing the importance that abortion rights will have in Democrats' 2024 election strategy. That's what this is all about. And I want to just remind you, for those of you not familiar for the Democrat Party, everything, everything is about identity politics. And in this statement, it's really stomach-turning. Let me just read this statement to you from Gavin Newsom, what he posted on X. I'm proud to announce California's new United States Senator, LaFonza Butler. As we mourn the enormous loss of Senator Feinstein, the very freedom she fought for, reproductive freedom, equal protection, and safety from gun violence have never been under greater assault. LaFonza has spent her entire career fighting for women and girls. It's been a fierce advocate for working people. She will make history. Here's the key phrase. This is what it's all about. Becoming the first black lesbian to openly serve in the U.S. Senate. From her time as president of Emily's List, to leading the state's largest labor union, she's always stood up for what is right and has led with her heart and her values. I have no doubt she'll carry the baton left by Senator Feinstein, continue to break glass ceilings and fight for all Californians in Washington. Well, isn't that wonderful? But again, I remind you, this is all about identity politics. Oh, she checks off this box. She's black. She's a woman. She's a lesbian. Isn't it wonderful? Sad, pathetic is what this is. But there you go. This is the way the Democrat Party functions. This is pretty much what we can expect. I want to turn to a story that's developing in the United Kingdom. Because there are people who would love to see similar action taken here. UK Daily Mail. Mobile phones to be banned in schools as Education Secretary Jillian Keegan said to announce a dramatic intervention to the relief of millions of parents and teachers. Mobiles. Did I say that right? This is the way the Brits referred to them. Mobiles are to be banned from classrooms. Jillian Keegan will order schools to outlaw smartphones during lessons and also in breaks in a bid to end disruption and make it easier for pupils to focus. A government source said new guidance would be issued to schools across England requiring them to take action. Jillian believes that mobile phones pose a serious challenge in terms of distraction, disruptive behavior, and bullying. It's one of the biggest issues that children and teachers have to grapple with so she will set out a way forward to empower teachers to ban mobiles from classrooms. Some schools already ban the use of mobiles, 
with pupils required to hand in their phones each morning or face the punishment of a detention if they're caught using them. Many others still permit their use, particularly during breaks, despite growing evidence of the damage they cause. Hmm. The announcement of a ban on the use of mobiles in the classroom follows years of debate about their impact. How the ban is enforced will be down to individual state schools. Many parents are content for their children to carry a phone so they can make emergency contact while traveling to and from school. But the presence of smartphones in the classroom and constant notifications from apps has been blamed for causing disruption as well as fueling cyberbullying and thefts in June, Finland became the latest country to ban phones in class in a bid to reverse a decline in exam results. The following month, a major United Nations report recommended smartphones should be banned to improve learning and tackle classroom disruption and cyberbullying. So it seems like there's a rising consensus on this, huh? UNESCO, the UN's Education, Science, and Culture Agency, pointed to evidence that excessive mobile phone use was linked to reduce educational performance. It said countries should ensure they have clear objectives and principles to ensure digital technology and education avoids harm, both to pupils and wider democracy. UNESCO's Director General said attention must be paid to the way the digital revolution is used in education. What do you think about this? I'd love to hear from some of you parents, for that matter, if there are any teachers listening to this broadcast now, is this the kind of thing you would love to see in schools around this country? Is this a necessity in order to get this particular issue under control? The education leader saying its use must be for enhanced learning experiences and for the well-being of students and teachers, not to their detriment. Studies have found links between phones and poor mental health among children, including anxiety, depression, and low self-esteem. We've discussed these issues before. There are also growing concerns pupils are using mobiles to bully each other on social media and for sexual harassment. Ministers have previously tried to ban mobiles in state schools two years ago then education secretary gavin williamson vowed to make the school day mobile free and won support but the proposal ban was ditched by his successor early last year the department for education said instead revised guidance would make clear that heads are best placed to make decisions on mobiles so where is this going to go? Do you think this is something the time has come to do this here in America? With so many issues, distractions, also issues with mental health. Is it time to take this extraordinary action here? And we're back to the Vince Coakley radio program, the final stretch of the broadcast on this Monday. One of the questions I raised, is it time to address this issue of mobile phones in terms of getting mobile phones away from schools altogether? There are some, we've had folks on this broadcast who very much advocating that children not be exposed to smartphones. For a variety of reasons what are your thoughts on the subject let's go out to belmont and kirk good morning kirk hey good morning vince uh so i met got to meet you at the uh the think and drink a while back but uh yeah i was telling bernie i used i drive a tractor trailer now i was in richmond but i used to be a teacher in gaston county and uh i'm of the opinion we don't need any more laws just have there's no reason why these things can't be banned at the lowest level, you know, school board or, or even the, the school. I banned it in my classroom, but I was telling Bernie I had a student that hadn't been there for a while. She had, had some 
issues, family issues, and uh, one of the students had received a text saying he's talking about killing herself. And so, of course, I didn't get him in trouble. I immediately dispatched him to go deal with an administrator to get that taken care of. But uh, that's that's a rare case, you know. But, but yeah, I used to, because uh, I'd tell the students, you know, that they basically give me the middle finger by whipping these things out all the time. And this is long before we even knew that smartphone issues with their brain development. But uh, I'm a flip-flop guy. But, uh. <laughs> yeah, I, do you, you have concerns. It sounds to me like you do have genuine concerns about what impact these phones are having on younger people. Yeah, it's the rudeness factor. I mean, well, I'm in a tractor trailer now, and uh, you know, everyone was in the cars with them. I, mean, I could tell just by the way a car is behaving, oh, yeah, I know that guy's playing with his phone. And sure enough, when I catch up with him, yeah. But uh, this, it's the rudeness and the, you know, it's, course i haven't taught since uh oh nine no uh, 14 i was at a charter school in charlotte after that but uh but uh yeah it's it it is long before the medical concerns were there i just it was a, it's a rudeness yep and the importance of uh being able to focus and this is a special problem for people like myself with adhd uh, I cannot oh, imagine what this would have done if I would have had this to fool with back in school days. Boy, that would have been a mess. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm with you. I, I would, uh, yeah, I'm pretty much uh, on the ADHD road with you. So. <laughs> All right. Hey, well, it's good to hear from you, Kirk. Be safe out there. I know that's a challenging job, and especially, man, I'll tell you what. I've got to ask you before you go. Sure. Uh, and you especially have to think of this because you're out there all the time professionally. Every single day when I'm out driving, I meet some of the stupidest people on the road. I you're mean, not kidding. Is uh, this your well, ongoing experience? Yes, every day. Well, I went to Richmond uh, yesterday afternoon during the Bills game, which ticked me off. But uh, <laughs> I had an early morning delivery. I haul gypsum board out of my holly all the time. And uh, there was a... I got there about an hour and a half after I planned on being just because of two wrecks. And I guarantee you, cell phones were probably the result. You know, one was in Greensboro. And then north of Durham, there's an overturned car, single car wreck. He flipped over several times. I, he probably playing on his phone. I didn't see cops doing it. But uh, it's it, you can just tell by the manner in which the car is being handled if you're behind. Yeah, I know that guy's on a phone because you can see their heads dipping down and they're weaving, slowing down, speeding up, you know, all this stuff. It's, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's really frustrating. I mean, the things I find uh, as it relates to phones is so many times you'll be at a light and it changes to green and you might wait there five seconds or longer and the person hasn't moved. And you look in, exactly. you can tell clearly that person is on a phone or it's a place where you're trying to make a left turn. And well, the, the person is checked out when they're, when they're doing it to me. But yeah, oh, I don't blame you. I don't. Man, I'm with you. <laughs> it drives me. For truck drivers to be on them because I uh, remember Merrick Garrison reported these uh, cameras around the state that are designed to see if truckers are playing on their phones or not. And I've seen some of them. They look they're real good. They look like a a robot or something. It's they're really or a Gumby kind of a Gumby stand thing with a camera on there. But uh, I don't know why they're not applying that toward cars, but it's like a $2,500 fine if I'm caught texting and driving. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty serious penalty. Uh, no question about that. Good to hear from you there, Kirk. As I said, be safe out there in the roads. Time for us to take a look at the day in history. How are you doing today, Bernie? I'm doing great, Vince. Hope you are, man. Not bad. Not bad at all. We have a total of eight items we will throw out to you. Beginning in 1919, that is the year that Woodrow Wilson suffered a stroke. Huh. We've had all kinds of conversation about presidents and age, so that's something interesting to consider. 1934, Howard Stern's favorite beverage is trademarked. Um, let's just say it's something to help make you uh, regular. Oh, Can- um. Oh, Vince. Can you believe that is allegedly his favorite <laughs> no. beverage? It's Metamucil. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That is. Trademarked <laughs> in oh 1934. My gosh. 1959, we'll come back to you because I'm going to let you hear some um, theme music, if you call it that. Okay. 1964, 
Scientists announced this causes cancer. It's pretty much a duh sort of thing now. Uh, cigarettes? Um, cigarettes. Smoking causes cancer. 1964. Right. We talked about beverages earlier. This one is very popular, especially sporting events. Especially when there's a big win. You pour it over the coach's head or player's head. Is that Gatorade? Yeah, this was invented invented at the University of Florida. Did yep. you know that? Yeah, the Gators. There yep. you go. Very cool. 1967, this guy sworn as the very first African-American justice on the Supreme Court. Do you remember his name? Oh, um, <laughs> he just passed away not long ago, did he not? It's been a while. Um, it's actually Thurgood Marshall. Thurgood Marshall, okay. Sworn as yeah, the very first. Sorry, Vince. No, you're okay. 1985, this famous actor died of AIDS. This was probably the first high-profile person that we paid attention to back in 1985 and were quite stunned. He was a famous uh, kind of leading man sort of actor, Oh, um, which really shocked people. I'm not 100% sure on this one, Vince. You might have to give it to me. Rock Hudson. Rock oh, Hudson, okay. 1985. Oh, that's very sad. 2001, NATO backs U.S. military strikes following the September 11th terror attacks and to close out here how is this for a crazy story <laughs> this is just way over the top 10 year old florida boy and his 11 year old sister they were running away to california do you know how they did it they drove 200 miles in their mother's car before they were stopped by sheriff's deputies on an interstate highway can you imagine that 11 and a 12 year old that's impressive. And a 10-year-old, 11 and I mean, 10. Very dangerous, but... Oh, tell me about it. How did they make it that far? I would like to know. How Deputies, was no one called the cops? Uh, they <laughs> somehow weren't noticed. They, it was actually deputies who spotted the sedan on the interstate near Gainesville in North Florida. The children's mother reported the car was missing and her children missing four hours earlier. The deputies, thinking they were dealing with car thieves, they drew their guns and ordered those inside the car to step out. Oh my goodness. Much to their surprise, deputies observed, observed a 10-year-old male driver exit the vehicle along with an 11-year-old sister. What is going on in that home? The children told deputies the girl had been upset their mother had taken away her electronic devices for misbehaving. So the boy was driving her to California. <laughs> Can you believe this? This goes back to devices again, right? The children interviewed by detectives who said there was no indication they had been mistreated by their mother or anyone else in the home. The mother declined to press charges. The children released to her. So there you go. Is that not crazy? A 10-year-old getting behind the wheel. I'm going to help my sister. It's always Florida, Vince. It's always Florida. It, is that what it is? It's I just, Florida? I hear so many stories out of Florida. I don't want to, you know, <laughs> accuse Florida alone, but... Florida man does this. Florida woman does that. Uh, yeah. It's Florida so, kids. Now we got Florida kids. Interesting things going <laughs> on out there for sure. You may you may be on to something, Bernie. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for the broadcast. Thanks very much for joining. Have yourselves a great day, and God bless you. Adios.